This should be entertaining. Welcome back to the Omar the Barbarian podcast, where we talk about what is best in life. Today, I'm talking about clickbait, the new eight-part miniseries on Netflix. Not going to bury the lead. It is very, very good, you all. I binged it last night, woke up groggy and tired because I was up until the wee hours because I absolutely had to finish it. Had to. So, look, for the most part, this is a non-spoiler review. It is way too good for me to spoil it. I need you to watch this thing. So that said, there will be mild spoilers for the first episode and the basic premise. So if you have not watched Clickbait, pause this podcast and go watch it. Trust me, you do not want any of this spoiled for you. If you like suspenseful thrillers with some mystery thrown in and strong character development, Clickbait is like Christmas Day. Man, is it strong. But if you've already watched it, or if you just don't care about spoilers, period, then kick back and relax. Uh, I'm going to tell you all of the reasons I enjoyed it, and hopefully that gets you to want to go and check it out for yourself. So let's get right into it. What is clickbait? Well, according to our friends on Wikipedia, clickbait is an American-Australian drama streaming television miniseries created by, and I'm going to probably butcher a bunch of these names, Tony Aris, hopefully I'm saying that right, and Christian White. Uh, Aris serves as the showrunner, while uh, Brad Anderson, Emma Freeman, Ben Young, and Laura Besley, uh, might be Beasley, but I think it's Besley, uh, are set to direct, right? It was released on Netflix on August 25th, 2021, and it explores the ways dangerous and uncontrolled impulses are fueled in the age of social media and reveals the ever-widening fractures between virtual and real-life personas. Man, it is, it is right in our hip pocket, uh, like our phone. <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. It's set in, uh, set in the United States, uh, but they actually filmed it in Melbourne, Australia. Again, it's a miniseries on Netflix, has eight parts, stars uh, Adrian Grinier. I think I'm saying your name right. Forgive me. Betty Gabriel. Uh, I think it's Zoe Kazan um, and a host of others. I'm not going to butcher anybody else's names. I think Adrian uh, Grinier looks familiar. But for the most part, I haven't seen much by this group of very talented performers. And honestly, that is very refreshing. I don't know these actors. And so the performances didn't come with any expectations. Having a cast of virtual unknowns gave way to performances that were amazing, but not expected. It felt a lot like going to, uh, for me, a stage play at like a local spot in your area and seeing actors who work hard on their craft uh, give their all. It's easy to forget sometimes that there are talented people in Hollywood that you just haven't heard of. Well, they're all on this show and you'll definitely know now. I think a lot of the actors from this miniseries will get work because of just how good this is. The 
general runtime of each show is anywhere between 42 and 52 minutes. So around an hour or so uh, for each show. So if you go in, you're, you're looking at just south of, of eight hours of, you know, so you can binge it in a day if you start early enough. Or if you're like me, you just don't mind going late. So the setup uh, of the eight shows, once you get the gist of the general storyline, they break each show up like like a chapter of of a really good mystery book um, or, or, you know, an ensemble sort of cast. So think about like how Game of Thrones had and I don't know if this really does this. I might be butchering this. So forgive me if you are a writer and you're like, that's not it's not how that works. You know, I'm trying to find a way to say this, but I feel like Game of Thrones had a bunch of characters that could be the protagonist, given the circumstance. So this is a lot like that. You know, each character has sort of like an arc, you know, that uh, the episode switches the point of view to. And this sort of reminded me of that. So uh, you get to view the story from the place where things left off in a previous episode, but from the perspective of a new character that is introduced in that episode, but you don't necessarily know who they are when you first meet them on screen. So for example, episode one is called the sister. So things take place from the point of view of the focal characters sister. Episode two is called the detective. So things are from the detective's perspective. Episode three is the wife and so on. Now, heck is this story about right it's about a guy named nick brewer who was played by adrian grinier or uh, i think that again uh, forgive me if i'm butchering this man's name i probably am he is a physical therapist for a professional at least i think they're pros uh women's volleyball team now this felt odd initially because to my knowledge we don't have that in the united states uh so because i know this is an australian u.s collaboration this may have been an australian thing that they were sort of shoehorning in to make it fit the story but it doesn't detract from the main focus if anything it makes you kind of wish we had more opportunities like that for athletes period female or otherwise uh who don't necessarily excel at the typical uh front-running american sports football basketball what have you um it was nice it was sort of a nice change of pace to say Wow. You know, what if we had that where, you know, uh, someone's full time gig could be playing women's volleyball professionally? You know, so you typically only see this sort of thing around the Olympics or, uh, you know, in college sports. But it was sort of a nice change of pace to see that. So who is this dude, Nick? Right. Uh, He is a devoted family man. He is in a racially mixed marriage. His wife Sophie Brewer is played amazingly by Betty Gabriel, who is stunningly attractive and is played up as such, which was really, really nice. Now, not attractive in the typical ways you see people propped up in a lot of these things. She's not Beyonce, nor she has to be. Uh, But that to me is what the show gets so right. You find yourself drawn to her or drawn to the other characters uh, because of who they are and who they're written to be, not based on uh, familiar beauty tropes that we've been force fed, you know, as a society. 
So this was really, really nice uh, to see. Um, it forces you to reassess your why. This show does this very well. It, like you, you're, you find your why and you, you go, well, why did, you know, it forces you to ask yourself, well, why did I think that Beyonce was the standard and not Sophie Brewer? Because I'm finding myself attracted to you and I'm surprised that I'm finding myself attracted to you, not because you're unattractive, but because I've seen so many other things that tell me that this is the standard for beauty, that I find myself having my own internal monologue as I watched it. And the show is very good at that and making you look in the mirror or the reflection of yourself in your own smart device, right? It's just, they get this so right without saying a word or in very subtle dialogue. And it's, you almost kind of wonder as you're watching it, wow, did they mean to do that? Or was that a happy accident? And you just don't know it's so well done. So, um, where was I? I've got to look at my notes. Uh, okay. So, uh, Nick and Sophie have two teen boys, uh, Nick's sister, Pia, uh, who takes front and center uh, stage in the first episode is played by, and I'm, I hope this is right. Zoe uh, Kazan, it might be Zoe Kazan. Um, uh, and if any of you are listening to this and I know you are, um, <laughs> forgive me for butchering your names. Um, so we get immediate tension as uh, this mixed family sits down to celebrate Nick's mother's birthday, right? First episode. So through dialogue, we see the family dynamic. Pia wants her mom to know that she has contributed to the gift for her birthday and makes a show of this thing by saying, hey, mom, it's, this is from all of us. All of us picked this out. But when her mom opens the gift, it's not the gift, apparently, that she, Nick and Sophie had agreed to buy. So Pia reveals her personality by creating a scene and ruining the dinner by making much of the imagined slight. So Nick tells her, hey, hey, chill out. And Pia blames Sophie, his wife. She's like, oh, this must have been Sophie's idea, wasn't it? It was her idea. And things kind of get tense and they escalate from there. Like Nick eventually kicks her out of his house and she goes home. Nothing unusual, right, about family drama. But it tells you a ton about these characters without an info dump of exposition and the tension you get from the first few minutes holds your interest to get to the meat of the story. It is very well done. The next day, we go to work with Pia, who was a nurse. And one of the patients she has to uh, give a shot to is watching this, this video online, right? And so the video is featuring a guy who is holding up signs that are written on white poster board. And they say things like, I abuse women, I killed a woman, etc. This guy has been beaten and has blood and bruising on his face. And the person who is showing Pia this video says that, hey, if the video gets five million views, uh, then the people who kidnapped this dude are going to kill him. Now, what makes this thing interesting and where the show really reaches up and grabs you by the throat is when Pia realizes that the person in the video is her brother, Nick. And you're, you're, you're locked in from that moment. And so from there, the story unfolds and we have a, a mystery suspense thriller 
that is about as good as anything I have seen since Queen's Gambit debuted last year. Now, I liked a lot of things, but what did I love about this miniseries? Shoot, man, damn near everything. This show has very few sluggish moments. Everything drives the story forward, even if it ultimately isn't what they set things up to be. I mean, it is a mystery after all, so there's naturally going to be some baiting and switching and surprises, but everything has purpose. There's nothing that is wasted. The pacing is really, really good. Uh, You get deep dives on all of the primary characters, so you care about them, but not at the expense of the story moving forward. Characters who move from being the focal point in a particular chapter also maintain their importance even when they are no longer the focal point of a particular chapter. And that's what this show gets so right. It feels like an adapted book that doesn't lose its book feel, even though it's uh, clearly made for TV. The use, and this is, uh, man, I loved this next point, the use of social media screens as visual effects. This is short of Tony Stark, you know, in a Marvel movie, this is the best I've seen on TV to date. Now, the world is still figuring out how to best show texting or what's on a video that a character is watching in a way that allows us to see their screen as a viewer, but doesn't require a cutaway to the screen, right? They're still trying to figure that out. So the way that clickbait blends it all together is perfection. One doesn't dominate the other. They work in tandem. So you as a viewer get to see what's on the screen, but you also see the character's reactions as they look at what's on the screen And the two things together tell you a story without words. And yet, because it's texting, it is words. And they had to get this right because so much of the story is dependent upon what people write on social media platforms. And this show touches on damn near all of them. Also, the social commentary is in your face without being in your face. Uh, I don't know how they nailed this one in 2021, where sometimes these sort of shows can err on being a bit too agenda driven and they lose the reason why you sat down to watch it in the first place, which is to be entertained. But clickbait dodges that bullet. It's a story about flawed people who have technology and that technology kind of has them the same way that ours kind of has us at times. I recently listened to a sermon by Stephen Furtick uh, where he talked about going back to a flip phone. And he said that uh, the same technology that allows him to preach a sermon to millions can also be a prison. This show definitely shines a light on just how quick we as a culture uh, would like to capture a, a video of a man drowning rather than throwing that same man a lifesaver. And in showing you these things that look real, that aren't, uh, and also showing you things that seem innocent on the surface that are actually very dangerous. The show gets this so right in so many ways. Um, I cannot recommend this show any stronger. Please go and check it out. I think you'll uh, deeply enjoy it. Five out of five stars, two very enthusiastic thumbs up. It is very, 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 very well done. Top to bottom. 
that's pretty much all I got today. Uh, as you all know, we're doing a much uh, anticipated uh, what Kevin Brown called air quotes serial killers podcast coming up very soon. I'm going to keep that title because I think it's dope. If you want your opinion heard about the best breakfast cereals, uh, we have a Google voice number now, uh, 813-384-8463. Drop us a message. And uh, if it's not trash, I'll put it on the show. <laughs> um, even if, And if, you know what? If it is trash, I'll probably put it on and clown you. So, you know, make sure that the message you leave is dope. Uh, other than that, thank you all for listening to the Omar the Barbarian podcast. If you are not subscribed, please subscribe. If you are subscribed, do it again. Right. Um, we love reviews, but only positive ones. So if you hate the show, keep that to yourself. Hug somebody that you love and I will see you next time.